0: Haunt House. Welcome to another edition of Battle Beyond the Movies, the podcast where two movies with similar themes go to battle to find out which one did it best. This is Paul from Pod Clubhouse, and with me this week I'm happy to have a fantastical collaborator and exactly one half of the Geekdom fancast, since we can't play favorites with geeks around here, Mike. Mike. Thanks for joining me on this episode, Mike. Thanks for having me,
1: Paul. It's a really an honor to be here on this podcast. I'm I'm really excited about the premise. Fun fact for people, I started basically ramping down my involvement with the Geekdom Fancast. It's not uh, any bad blood between me and Jeric. I'm gonna come on every now and then, but I'm just stepping away from full-time podcasting. So I was gonna tell you as such when you brought this idea to me, but then when I saw it and then you gave me the pitch sheet and uh, all the different episode ideas you had in mind i'm like oh no i gotta do this so i am <laughs> i'm super excited to like uh keep on going in a, in a much more subdued way but yeah uh the fan fancast derek is my other half on that um and he will be going on and uh we have one more episode to do on that so i'm glad to be re- still in the podcast game in a sense by being here with you so yeah thanks for having me
0: a semi-appropriate quote springs to mind Just when they thought I was out, they pull me back (laughs) in, right?
1: Right, exactly. I thought you were going to say, don't have a podcast that you can't just
0: leave and (laughs) get out. Within 30 seconds flat. Good one. That that, would have been been better.
1: Remember Jimmy McElwain on the yard used to say, you want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner.
0: I think the last time we might have podcasted together could have been semi-related to what we're going to talk about tonight. Not thematically, just was it was it a Westworld review that we did? Ooh, yeah, I think that might have been it. That's right. See, there you go. Right, it all comes back full circle, right, with Pod Clubhouse. Uh, or we only want you online to talk about Jonathan Nolan products. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was going to clear it up for your audience. I was like, okay, if people don't know where the connection is, because Westworld seems pretty different from these two properties, but um, it is Jonathan Nolan. I think uh, his collaborations with his brothers might be some of my favorite movies, so I hope they get together again sometime soon.
0: I feel the exact same way, because now that Jonathan is busy with Westworld and like doing things with Lisa Joy, I'm wondering does that make him too busy to go back to making nearly perfect movies with his brother? (laughs) I know, (laughs) you know, I really
1: hope not, (laughs) but that's the good question because I still have yet to not completely enjoy a Christopher Nolan movie, but I would say that his last couple were okay. We're like good, but not like the masterpieces. I consider the ones that they worked on together to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, Tenet, I want to give it like another chance, I guess, but uh, it seems to be setting itself up for its own little tenet verse with the way that it ends, but my feeling about it after it ended didn't make me feel like I needed to go make any effort to see that. (laughs) 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 You know, does that that resonate with
1: you? Yep, it totally does. That movie's so funny because that last battle scene just... uh, uh, the, the whole thing leading up to that was so great, but then it's weird because the movie kind of does this thing where like it goes to one point and then it goes backward from that point, but it doesn't land the way it starts I feel like. Um, I don't know. We don't have to review Tenant. I have so many thoughts about Tenant. I'm not going to even begin because I know that us being who we are, we can totally go for too much of it and I'd rather go too deep into our topic today, so.
0: And with that, we'll discuss The Combatants. Meet the combatants. When I approached Mike with this idea, he was game to try right away. He was so enthusiastic that he looked at my idea and said, that's great, but here's a better idea. And he came up with tonight's episodes, combatants, and battleground. So, Mike, we've been hinting and beating around the bush a little bit. Why don't you tell the good people that have turned on this podcast who has come to the fight?
1: Let me start off by saying I I did not mean for it to sound like I had a better idea. This is just an idea that has stuck with me since seeing one of our combatants in theaters at the new Beverly, I live in Los Angeles and Quentin Tarantino owns a theater out here where he shows like original 35 millimeter prints of just like great movies. And um, a couple months ago, they were doing a whole series of LA on film and I live in LA and I love the city. So I was like, I have to see that. And one of the movies on there I had, I realized I had not seen all the way through. And that is our first combatant that is Heat. That came out in 1995, directed and written by Michael Mann himself. I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you don't need me to say who Michael Mann is. And also all these actors, you should know, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Val Kilmer, Tom Sizemore. This is like a murderer's row, literally (laughs) in the movie. And you know, (laughs) just in acting in general, Ashley Judd, I believe in one of her first major roles.
0: I think that's right.
1: Amy Brenneman, John Voight, William Fichtner, who also is in the other combatant. This is Michael Mann's High crime drama about a group of high-end professional thieves who start to feel the heat from the LAPD when they unknowingly leave a clue at their latest heist, Uh, but it's so much more.
0: Isn't that a funny synopsis? Uh, It is a funny synopsis (laughs) because it does
1: not begin to scratch the surface of like what
0: that movie's actually about. When I read that, I mean, I copied and pasted it into the notes, and I thought, wait a second, what clue is that? And I think, I think it's Slick. I think Slick is the clue. Stop talking, okay, Slick
1: yes it is the clue just a homeless man just staying there i believe he says that he's heard them say slick right yeah called another person slick and that's the only thing they have to go on and then al pacino just does his thing and is crazy my idea for this was uh, hatched because I had listened to, like I was telling Ball off the podcast. I was telling you that um, I had listened to two different podcasts about it. I'll shout them out really quick. Uh, Blank check with Griffin and David. Great podcast. And the action boys podcast, which is a uh, comedian, John Gabris and two other comedians, um, Ryan Stanger. And sorry, sorry, the third guy. I, I'm a big <laughs> fan, but I totally blanked <laughs> out right now. He writes for star Trek lower decks. Oh, I'll, I'll randomly yell out his name later
0: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. That's how brains work.
1: <laughs> and they were talking about how like this is, and, and the blank check, uh, both podcasts were basically talking about how Christopher Nolan was very inspired by this. And I looked it up and like, apparently he did screen this for his, uh, the heads of his department, according to a variety article in 2009. Uh, he screened a bunch of movies. Paul has more on that, but uh, one the, the last one and the most, the biggest one was heat. And I was like, oh, yeah, the Dark Knight basically feels like Michael Mann's in the in the superhero universe. It feels like heat, basically, with because the the, <laughs> the funny synopsis aside, he really is like a master criminal versus a master thief. Um, and then master basically criminal versus master
0: detective, even
1: master detective. was <laughs> Yes, that's exactly that. Those were the words that I said. I should have stuck to him. Um, master de- criminal and master detective. <laughs> Even though is wild we'll get to that uh later on in the episode. Uh, there's a lot of funniness to that, but it is true. And the Dark Knight feels like the same exact thing. I mean, who else in superhero lore and comic book lore can we point as the to as like the ultimate criminal villain and specifically Batman who is supposed to be the world's greatest detective? And, you know, Joker like the the complete antithesis like chaos embodied you know like the the, the embodiment of chaos and uh i wouldn't even say evil i would say chaos yeah i'm an agent of chaos <laughs> So it felt like very similar. I was starting to put the together the pieces and I wanted to talk to people, but I'm the only nerd who has seen heat in, <laughs> like, like in recent times. So it's weird to like, I feel like you could still talk to people about the dark night in depth and, and and it's an acceptable conversation. But like when I bring up, oh, like I just watched heat for the first time in a long time or like prob- maybe ever all the way through. I get a lot of like, oh, yeah, that's such a great movie, but I have forgotten about it since seeing it in 1995, 1996 or whatever. So I'm like, oh, yeah, we can't talk about that. So I'm glad we got to I get to like go on a podcast and really break it down, which is really cool. I feel like I've talked so much already on your podcast. So do you want to talk about The Other Combatant?
0: The Other Combatant is, as Mike has alluded to, is actually Christopher Nolan's own Dark Knight. Whatever Gotham needs me to be. The 2008 second movie of his Batman trilogy. This one with Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, in his Oscar-winning portrayal of the Joker, Aaron Eckhart. Michael Caine is also in it. Morgan Freeman, this is the one where Maggie Gyllenhaal briefly plays Rachel Dawes. <laughs> the go (laughs) role originated by um, Katie Holmes and Batman Begins.
1: That's right. We better run.
0: The IMDb synopsis for this one is, when the menace known as the Joker wreaks havoc and chaos on the people of Gotham, Batman must accept one of the greatest psychological and physical tests of his ability to fight injustice. That's a little vanilla for what actually goes down.
1: (laughs) Much like the heat synopsis, that is a very, like... Strangely, uh, yeah, vanilla. Vanilla is a great word.
0: Tone <laughs> to down, that. for sure. <laughs> but Both of these movies are very well thought of. They have high Rotten Tomatoes scores. Heat, at that time in the 90s, it was infrequent that you'd get a movie this long in the theaters. Right. And so I feel like its box office numbers might have suffered a little bit for that maybe even a lot for for that yeah It made back its money eventually in the worldwide market, but it took a while. Whereas Dark Knight made a billion dollars. It was the first comic book movie to make a billion dollars. It made more than Batman Begins made in like five days. It was a serious earner, (laughs) as they say.
1: I remember the VHS for Heat being one of the few titles at the time. Titanic would soon become the next one where uh, it was two VHSs because the movie was so long.
0: I was a video guy at the beginning of 1995. I was still in high school in the first half of 1995. And believe it or not, Mike, there was a chopped down version of Heath that you could get that fit on one tape. Oh God. Did you watch it? I believe I did. And I think I remember that certain portions like the scenes with Ralph, uh, you know, the infidelity scenes. Mm. Uh, and I think the background of Dennis Haysbert's character are oh, done, okay. done away with. I think a lot of the Hank Azaria stuff is minimized. Because, you know, after just watching this movie, it's not like they spend a lot of time on exposition. You know, they don't explain mm. a lot. Things just happen real fast. But then they spend a lot of time showing people going about their business, doing the searching, doing the hunting, doing the the gunfighting, whatever. What are you gonna do? Cut that down? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was. Uh, I, I don't know that you could still find that version of the movie.
1: I guess you could technically get the whole story without Dennis Haysbert's scenes and like that lead up, but it's just that just is a good separate tragedy movie, like in within this bigger crime movie. Cause uh, even watching it for the first time, not even remembering his character, I totally it, up until the end, I was just like, why? Why are they doing this? Like, what is the like i kept wondering like when was this gonna pay off in our in our bigger picture and when it does it's just it's so heartbreaking because in any other movie I feel like that character would just be no name or like just have one scene introducing before the heist and then just get killed off and like oh that's what it is but like when he gets killed it is like super matter of fact as it would be in movies these days or any other lesser movie but it is so much more impactful and just adds to that it's it's crazy because it's not even like the climactic climactic well the, the big bank robbery in the middle of the movie mm-hmm. um, it adds to it so much and uh, you know that, that bank robbery He's very classic already, so it's a uh, that's a lot. So I can see logically them cutting a lot of things because it's like, oh, this doesn't really matter. But it's one of those things where like it probably takes away so much <laughs> in, in in so many ways. Like cutting any part of that.
0: A couple years after Heat came out, there was an actual shootout in North Hollywood. I remember that. Yes. And it looked a lot like the movie. It 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 didn't resolve nearly so fast as the movie because the police had to kind of regroup and chase down the bad guys. But there were scenes of shot up cars and police cornering vehicles and the bad guys shooting at the windshield and all that stuff. And I remember there was like comparisons to Heat and were movies like this emboldening criminals to think it was okay to try this kind of shit in broad daylight. And I remember, you know, internally, like kind of defending Heat, like, no, no, they were going to do that anyway. (laughs) You know,
1: (laughs) and and during the coverage of the shootout, the movie was being referenced um, live and on on point. There have been other car robberies, armored car robberies, where Heat was cited as like the inspiration for them by, by authorities for whatever reason. I think these things would have happened already. I just think that Heat and Michael Mandin, he seems like one of those directors that does so much research and is so gung-ho about getting things exactly right that um, it's hard not to have that stick in your head when things in real life happen.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this and and wondering, well, well, who is he? Well, I would say his building block era was developing Miami Vice. Right. Well, he did make the movie, yes, but the TV show, the Don Johnson TV show from the 80s that ran for several seasons, that was his show, and he kind of went from there as... Uh, Mike mentioned earlier, there was a movie called L.A. Takedown, which was a TV movie that Michael Mann also made that Heat is apparently kind of the expanded version of. I've never Mm -hmm. seen L.A. Takedown. Have you? No, I have not. I bet it's impossible to find. Yes, (laughs) Yes, I bet so too. (laughs) TV movie from 1989. You would need VHS to locate that. Mm Mm-hmm. Since Mike came up with our theme too, I'll let him tell you about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My pitch was, there's so many similarities between the movies that I wanted to think of a fun, juicy way to have them combat in this format. And um, what came to me was, like I said before, Master Criminal versus Master Detective, which movie did it best. And around that, we have kind of a flip, I would say, uh, that we can get to later. But... um, you know, in heat, obviously it's Al Pacino.
0: Say hello to my friend.
1: The role of Vincent Hanna, and the master criminal is obviously Robert De Niro as Neil McCauley. What if you do got me boxed in, and I gotta put you down? Um, and then I want to add the third person in this, um, where who who kind of has their own little arc is. Uh, i would say and this would be val kilmer chris and Heat, and then um in the dark Knight, obviously the master detective is the one and only batman <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are And, uh, you know, it's so much easier with with the Dark Knight because <laughs> the criminal's obviously the Joker and uh, the third party is um, Harvey Dent himself. I mean, there's a lot of the differences, obviously, when you're dealing with comic book properties there. They do. You have iconic comic book things you have to bring into it, but um, the way that they distill it in heat especially Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, how like their lives are dedicated to their craft basically. Right. Um. And then Al Pacino tries to have his own life, but it's a garbage mess. And uh, Bruce Wayne doesn't even attempt to. And then the Joker, we don't know, which is kind of like the wild card, the Joker card in this situation. Uh, but Robert De Niro's, I guess his past, we don't really know, but we know that he just has like a clean life and uh, uh, nothing he can get away from. Uh, even though he tries he develops something within this movie, and it still doesn't amount to anything. As he he's like ready to drop that, and at the at the when he feels the, the heat coming thing. around the corner. Yep, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, what do you think of this theme? Do you think it um has has any mileage left in Hollywood?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, that's why I think the Dark Knight did so well as a superhero property, because like uh, beyond, you know, um, the popularity of Batman, you have like something that's so inherent in storytelling, just like the hero and the villain and the criminal and uh, the detective, I think these days uh politically I think there is a story to be told this way but how these two tell it I think it's getting kind of dated as far as like our representation of master criminals and stuff and what we think about crime in general um and uh just class and and what we know about even justice <laughs> I would say you know like what is justice and I the dark Knight does touch up on that on like how the lengths he will have to go and even Pacino is like a madman sometimes when he's like shaking down some of his informants and stuff.
0: Right. Empathy was yesterday, today. You're wasting my motherfucking time.
1: But not so much so, more than the Batman where he makes this like pretty scary like big brother type contraption to like help himself at the end uh, fight the Joker, so. The,
0: The cell phone sonar deal.
1: Yeah, your original idea, which I really liked, was it felt generational a little more generational than that because uh it wasn't the second movie wasn't a superhero movie Mm -hmm. i won't say it just in case you want to do it still because i think i still think that's a good idea but i will say that there's like a post pandemic kind of version of this same story that could still be told with this bare bones but it it would be different But, but like the bare bones of these stories are like really good uh if you do it well Um, and uh, these two directors do it well. And, I mean, there's so many heat knockoffs anyways, right?
0: You know, Nolan definitely took things up a level in terms of kind of that heightened reality aspect that you need in a comic book movie, even one that's grounded in our world, like Nolan's Batman movies were. But watching these two movies back-to-back, it's not like they have the same beat-for-beat sort of thing going on. But like you said the bones are so similar in mm-hmm. in terms of the hero or the protagonist and the antagonist are not drawn in in black and white um right
1: i will say that the dark knight's opening bank robbery is not beat for beat the any of uh, the two heists in heat but it feels like a cover band playing or like not even I won't tell, <laughs> it feels like a remix of an original michael mann song like just aesthetically just the way it's paced the way it's shot everything about it feels it, it, up until also this is something that i told you paul as far as one of the similarities uh they cast uh william fichtner who, who is in heat and also in the dark knight and in that one big robbery scene is kind of like a similar kind of character you don't have any
0: idea who you're stealing from you and your friends are dead oh
1: um, man i Feel like that is Christopher Nolan doing his like uh puff daddy sample uh, <laughs> of, of heat, like, you know, throwing in the drop uh, that specifically pays homage to
0: it. I see what you're saying about that. It Because the choreography of it, the moment one of the clowns has outlived their usefulness, pop, they're gone. And it just kind of advances like that until all the dominoes fall kind of literally the last domino <laughs> gets smushed by Dumbled the over. right yep. by the bus. But yeah, I think you're right. It's not even exactly it's 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 not like uh, when Weezer does a uh, a cover. It's like when a band that wants to make the, a song better does <laughs> does, does a cover. Because <laughs> um, cause he could take advantage of the fact that he's, he's creating that heightened sense of reality. And so the perfect timing of the bus coming out in the middle of like a, a you know, an armada of buses going by. You can't do that in the real world, but you can yeah. in Gotham City, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's great.
1: And that is so visually pleasing and just for comic book nerds and just any movie goer, that heightened sense of reality. But there's a lot to be said about the heightened sense of reality, the, the, the sense of actual reality and heat. I want to say I found one instance in trivia of like uh, in 2002, I believe they screened this for Marines to show them what it's like to retreat under gunfire. I want to say I've heard that there was more than that one instance, though, um, of like a military or like anyone training a group of, you know, soldiers or officers showing them a referencing heat and specifically the high scene, the the gunfight in the middle and how like great it is. Michael Mann didn't even use dubbing for the gunshots of the bank robbery shootout. He actually had microphones placed all over the city and all over the set. So you would actually hear the stuff like he's so much into the reality of situations and making things as authentic as possible that um, it might not be as clean and as fun as one bus happening to fill the the hole in the line of buses. But um, it's stuff that happens in real life. And then we're talking about the North Hollywood shootout, which is like, you know, this is a, that's a scary real thing. But um, that's uh, Michael Mann also just like a. Uh, kind of showing us
0: the world can be real and scary at the same time. Also that scene that you're talking about the heist and then the escape and all that, the way that the police have to play catch up, they have to be reactive to the whole situation because they don't know what's happening next. Exactly. Especially the poor uniformed cops. Jesus Christ. They had no hope. Oh, I know. And meanwhile, Neil and his crew are, I don't know if they served in the military, but they are advancing through those cars like they have in terms of Mm -hmm. covering each other. They're not even necessarily trying to hit cops. They're just trying to keep their heads down, which is Mm -hmm. what automatic weapons are largely for. That's why they shoot so many bullets, you know, is to just keep you scared from poking your head out. On that, Michael Mann actually directed the extras and
1: the actors playing the police officers to only fire the ra- rifles in semi-automatic mode. And that's, you know, realistically what police would do because they don't want to hit bystanders or friendly fire. Um, and the, the the robbers, like he wanted to show them and successfully showed them just spraying back and forth without full on full automatic, even striking innocent people uh, because all they care about is going away. I love the feeling of a Michael Mann movie.
0: I just watched the movie to prepare for this, and every time I watch that sequence, I catch myself tensing up, like the muscles in my neck, you know, like... Uh, it's not something that I can just watch and get through, even though I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I've known for the last 25-ish years how it's turning out. And and I still, edge of my seat, kind of gripping uh, the edge of the couch tightly kind of thing, because it is just so raw the way that it feels like it's shot. It feels almost documentary-like, like an embedded camera kind of coverage of what's happening there.
1: The other thing about that scene, it's like no music. There's everything Hollywood that you can make a scene like that is just taken out. There's not even a dramatic moment where the gunfight begins. It's just Val Kilmer seeing like one cop across the street and immediately pulling up and shooting because like that's what they train for. This is what they do. Um, they're they're not messing around. And Michael Mann doesn't do any like anything artistic in a way to like overly melodramaticize the moment. He just shows it, matter of fact. No slow-mo,
0: no, like, uh, casings flying artistically through a perfect arc in the air. (laughs) None (laughs) none, none of that.
1: Yes, exactly. The anti-John Woo. (laughs) (laughs) Right. As much as I like John Woo, I will say. This is a completely different beast. And in comparison, uh, The Dark Knight has that one famous scene in the the middle when they're, like, taking Harvey Dent after he says he's Batman, um, and they're, like, taking him to lock up. him take the Batman into custody. I am the Batman. The Joker's chasing him on a truck. Everyone knows the scene where they flip the truck. Um mm-hmm. that also does not have music to it. And and that's kind of weird for a superhero movie where like I feel like every set piece you want to have like the hero's theme blaring or like the villain's theme blaring, you know. Um, I just rewatched Shang-Chi and like the music in that is beautiful, but it is all over. It's just like spread all over the fight scenes. <laughs> like um, jelly on toast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like just with no regard, just like just throw it out there. And and Nolan only imagined that he was like, yeah, let's let, make it as bare and sparse as as that scene, uh, the high scene, the big high scene in Heat.
0: If you think about, say, say the big scene at the end of Endgame, right? You can actually just kind of hear the Avengers theme playing as all the armies amass before mm-hmm. they they go to war, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, and you can hear it, you can you can actually know the notes. Whereas here, what they have with the theme is, like you said, bare bones. Even in the moments where they do have the music, it, it, it builds tension, but it doesn't really follow like a melodic line or something that you could just hum in the car. The establishing shots where they're showing Batman looming on the corner of a building before he jumps down to take uh, Lau into custody or whatever. So it's just like a a french horn or something
1: you know it's it's (laughs) not
0: it's not like a melody or or something like that it it just kind of evokes mood but doesn't want to stand on its own it's like this is a whole piece of music you know right it's it's not a typical
1: triumphant score that we're used to from like sylvester and john williams and stuff and superhero stuff i feel like it really only crescendos into something where you could kind of hum recognizably right at the end when um, he's like going away in the dark night, the title card appears on the screen for the first time in the movie, um, right after his little commissioner Gordon's last monologue about Batman, which I admit when I saw it in theaters for the first time, it may have been five o'clock in the morning because I saw a late screening, but I teared up at the end of that. Man, (laughs) Just like overwhelmed with emotion of like
0: how good that movie was. Yeah. I just finished it again today and I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is so good. <laughs> <laughs> the moment where Gordon is explaining to his son the concept of the hero we need, the hero we deserve, and how that's reversed with regard to Harvey Dent and all that. A hero. Not the hero we deserved, but the hero we needed. Nothing less than a knight. It took me a few minutes after watching to kind of do the math and be like, "What? Wait, what is that? Wait, huh? okay, okay, now I get it. All right, all right, yeah, I get it now. All right." <laughs> well, we've gone up and down with these, what we like about these these movies and the battlegrounds. So let's get on to the fight. So thematically, when I was taking notes on these two movies, I constrained myself to only the actions of the of the people identified as the master criminal or the master detective. As interesting as some of those subplots were, until yes. they intersected with our main players, I just kind of used those moments to make more complete notes <laughs> on, on everything <laughs> no, I else. think that's, yeah, that's super smart. What if you had a fantasy uh, football league, and you could swap in, say, Vincent Hanna into Gotham City to try to solve the Gotham situation, or reverse.
1: Or Batman in our
0: world, is that? (laughs) Right. Do you think we'd still have successful outcomes at the end?
1: No, I do not, actually. Uh, Maybe (laughs) if we put Vincent Hanna in the Dark Knight world, but I just feel like that. The idea of Batman, and especially the Batman portrayed in The Dark Knight, is just too idealistic and kind of impossible in a real-world scenario. It could get borderline fascistic, maybe. But I think Vince Hanna would be formidable against the mob bosses and even, like, the crazier Joker character Um, and just the way (laughs) uh, he handles himself in that world. Although, I don't know if, like... His life is in shambles in modern-day Los Angeles,
0: according to 1995. You know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. You can lounge around here on her sofa in her ex-husband's dead tech post-modernistic bullshit house if you want to. But you do not get to watch my fucking television set. Yeah.
1: I wonder what his life, like, personality-wise would be in Gotham City would he be even dirtier as a detective
0: it might be Uh, as i mentioned offline there was this really neat interview that i saw on youtube where christopher nolan was performing an interview of michael mann and most of the cast and several behind the camera professionals at a i think it was a screening of heat that followed a digital transfer where they remastered it and so Mm they had a lot of questions and one of the things they admitted about Vincent's character that didn't make it on screen, but it was something that man and Pacino understood and had talked about.
1: I know what you're about. You didn't tell me this, uh, but I know <laughs> what you're going to say, but go ahead and say it. It was
0: that uh <laughs> Vincent does cocaine. Yes. And yep. and he's that coked up. That's why he's like that. That is why he's like that. That's why he just bursts in on the scene. Albert! Albert. Hey, Shit. Albert. Listen, man, what, what are you doing coming in for, man? You crazy? This ain't Disneyland, You were man. supposed to get back to me last night. Albert, the fuck? and has these just kind of lion roar kind of interactions with people is that he cokes up and then bashes into the door like Kramer.
1: <laughs> you know, in um, his persona, he actually is... It's not you know like his identity is known to everyone but uh, he does have like another like Batman is a persona obviously to strike fear but he also has that one like he's kind of subdued up until his first meeting with his first informant at the junkyard um and then he's like all of a sudden like whoa he's like Get
0: me Give and- me
1: all you got! He's the Pacino that is, you know, is about to slowly become the Pacino that's made fun of by like every other comedian. And he kind of does have like this. He's like kind of measured when he's like dealing with whatever else, like uh the daughter he's raising. And then, but then like when he talks, like, he's at the club when he's saying she's got a great ass. Because
0: she got a great ass! And you got your head all the way up it!
1: Jesus. <laughs> um, when, when, like in that, he's kind of his own weird coked up Batman. <laughs> like he's exactly. A yeah, it's Batman. <laughs> And maybe that would play well in Gotham City as far as theatrics. I want to say that Vincent Hanna might be successful in Gotham City because I feel like he would, in a sketchy way, be in on everyone's gangs, kind of have a in or like relations, whether it's informant, whether it's an actual customer dealer scenario. But like uh, he might have a more of a no and more of an involvement, whereas Batman is obviously just trying to make. You know, like in this movie, Batman's trying to retire. Yes. Uh, he wants Rachel. Uh, he wants to be with Rachel. And he's just tried to, like, clean up Gotham for good, uh, which is like, you know, it's like, is that real in any sense of the maybe in a comic book world where like the mob is like the only crime or is the source of all crime but like um yeah like i think he might have a better shot like the joker's getting his goons. we see him get his goons from different to mob like we we have that one scene uh, the famous scene where like he has auditions for to be part of his team <laughs> right. which is really great now
0: our operation is small but there's a lot of potential For aggressive expansion. So which of you fine gentlemen would like to join our team? Oh, there's only one spot open right now. So we're going to have tryouts. Make it fast.
1: (laughs) Uh, And I love, but, uh, you know, I feel like Vince, Hannah would know these dudes. At least I've talked to him once, you know.
0: Well, that's a pretty good observation, because one of the things that Batman can't do, because he's a team of one, is what the Joker was so able to do, which was riddle the police force with his own guys that had gone back a long time ago. Apparently, like in the case of Ramirez, she admitted that they got me a long time ago. Part of the preparation for this role, I guess, for the Joker was that there was not going to be any kind of origin, He was just going to be like a fact, like a force of nature. I saw the Nolans refer to him as an absolute, you know, sort of like death and taxes, right? And that Uh, really
1: comes across, I would say.
0: Yeah, well, he does just come out of nowhere. But little lines like that let us know that, okay, well, he's been preparing for some time to make this move. Or at least to come out. Because he doesn't actually want to... You know, he doesn't want to run crime in Gotham City. He said it'd be like if a dog caught up to a tire, he wouldn't know what to do (laughs) do with it. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. But he does like to stir the pot and see what, what happens then. That's really what he's interested in.
1: And Neil McCauley is kind of a similar case when they first see that armor, the results of the armored car robbery. It is just a thing where immediately doesn't isn't immediately Hannah kind of sees that how professional they are and it's like,
0: oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because like the, the, the shaped charge on the door would suggest that there's like special training involved and choreography of the ambulance and the truck that bashed over the armored car and, and, and all that just suggests these are not just weekend warrior bank robbers.
1: I, I love the line when he's like they're ready to rock and roll and he's kind of like giving them their due saying that they're how badass they are, or what they do without, you know, saying that they're badass because he is a cop but you can kind of tell he admires what they do.
0: M.O. is that they're good. Once it escalated into a murder 1B for all of them after they killed the first two guards, they didn't hesitate, pop guard number three, because what difference does it make? Why leave a living witness? Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll.
1: And all, and that becomes very obvious when they finally, when Neil and Hannah talk at, uh, in the most famous scene in Heat, probably. The diner scene. Mm-hmm. which yeah. would you compare to the interrogation room scene
0: i think i would uh that's probably one of the similarities that the two movies have is that the uh antagonist and the protagonist don't share that much screen time mm-hmm. but those moments when they do are super memorable the scene with uh the harvey dent fundraiser barely even counts you know uh, (laughs) because it's very short Um, so you have to look at that interrogation scene I
1: really feel like the Harvey Dance fundraiser was like well Batman and the Joker have to get into a fist fight in the movie Uh, like your idea Chris is so good but um, they gotta get into a fist fight at least like (laughs) they can't all be that intelligent you know it can't all be like that much of a thriller we still have to have Batman and Joker trade blows a
0: little fight
1: now I like that. and you're
0: going to love me. Yeah, I mean... That's the only
1: really traditional feeling superhero fight in the movie, I feel like.
0: And if you're looking for plot holes, I mean, who took care of the Joker after that? I mean, Batman jumps out the window <laughs> yeah. and the next scene is is assuming all, you know, like Dent gets out. The people are fine. Joker just goes about his business and goes to something else without killing everybody there <laughs> just because they're there. Uh, you just, ah, what? But what? It, it's not important. It's not important to the rest <laughs> of, the, of the plot. We're not supposed to care.
1: Yeah, that's true. It is interesting, though, because would you say Neil's undoing um, Robert De Niro in Heat is flaws in his team, right? Would you say, like, getting to Trejo? Like, that's kind of like what is happening over the course of heat and the joker if we're talking about master criminals being just like truly on his own like he does have goons and stuff but it's like really just the joker if you think about it and like batman has no means besides straight up the his sonar device to to really like find the joker and stuff or the joker when the joker wants to be found he's found or whatever he never gets the real upper hand on him it's kind of reversed, right? This is kind of one of the reversals I was thinking of uh, as far as like uh, how their roles are reversed.
0: Well, that's definitely worth talking about in terms of like the master criminal element as far as the Joker is concerned is they thought that they were playing him with the whole Gordon murder faking his death yeah Yeah. and the Joker getting caught with that whole scenario they thought they were playing him whereas they were playing into Joker's hand the entire time even with the car chase even with the people that probably died in that (laughs) that whole thing (laughs) that was all just so that he could get into that interrogation room and distract everybody from Dent and Rachel getting abducted you wanted me
1: Here I am. Right. Where I feel like Macaulay, on the other hand, uh, is dealing with what Batman's dealing with. Like his allies are turning against him or fucking up in some way
0: or some situation, you know. Um. And uh, One of the things that Neil is dealing with, he's struggling with his adherence to his own code. Yes. The don't involve anything in your life that you can't drop in 30 seconds. If you feel the heat coming around the corner, whatever the exact quote is. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm close enough. (laughs) That was was actually really close. (laughs) And, But he's got this woman, he's got Edie, that he has intertwined into his world. She's not quite sure that she wants to go with him, but she's not sure that she doesn't either. That's his struggle. He won't commit to one or the other by the end of the movie, and that fucks up his timing with what would save his life. If he follows his plan to get out of town with Edie, he's okay, or if he would have ditched Edie Itty, Itty. if he would have ditched <laughs> Edie a long time ago and been able to follow maybe a different plan that didn't involve her maybe he would have been on an earlier flight and would have not had to worry about this Wayne Grow business but it was needing to go deal with Wayne it was like his need to serve that inner part of himself that needed to balance that sheet that that ledger
1: exactly yeah he needed to cross that off because he was so professional that's his job that's his who he is it's like he's the guy who makes sure like there's no loose ends look at me look at me look at me (laughs) Um, and you can tell like the moment he decides to go after Rangrow in the car, and it's almost heartbreaking because you know he can get away if he just leaves the dude alone. But there's like one specific shot and one specific scene where they're like turning on to, I want to say off the 405 to LAX to get out of there. And uh, he's uh, he kind of smiles and he's like, Nope, change of plans, and you're just like, No,
0: like, yeah, I know you're almost there, <laughs> exactly. And Batman, similarly to your point, has a code. He's struggling with who he is. He wants to be this symbol for how Gotham can be, but he knows that his true self and his, his methods and all that aren't the way that Gotham should get there. Yeah. And beyond that, he wants to be with Rachel. And so Batman's retirement program is the only way that he can get there. <laughs> um, so he's mostly working for that, rather than the betterment of Gotham anymore. That was that was the deal in Batman Begins, and and he also has his own internal conflict here, which, who knows? If he was dedicated to one or the other, how things might have wound up. I mean, if he'd have dedicated to Rachel, obviously the police were never going to get a handle on Joker. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That was never going to work.
1: But his code, what that I was referring to, would you say his code of not ever killing anyone? I
0: have one Oh, then that's the rule you have to
1: break to know the truth which is god in the way it's such a problematic thing to say because like the implications of it other than it being the joker if it has to deal with anyone else in the real world of just ser- serving out justice and like killing the joker when he had the chance and stopping all of it from happening that kind of gets in his own way as well
0: in, in terms of a comic book universe I'll go along with that idea yeah yeah That it gets in the way. It's interesting, you know, when you see Zack Snyder say things like, of course, Batman kills people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's funny. Oh, man.
1: You bring up a good point. Batman doesn't want Harvey to be like him. And then his worst nightmare comes true when he becomes Two-Face he becomes like him but shows the super scary side of being a vigilante where like if the mind is so twisted but has like the same kind of methods and motives of just going around and dealing his own justice it could be really bad and scary batman in essence could be a couple steps away from that on the other end you got de niro over here telling his crew not to have <laughs> like there's that one scene where they're in you know they're having the dinner together and he's looking around and everyone's got their girl with them i believe it's the same scene where tom sizemore proposes right
0: and and uh vince and the other and the cops are all outside waiting just watching
1: yeah exactly he's got his own code like you said like you could just if you feel the heat coming like just get out of there! I'm I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna continually butcher it till it's unrecognizable. <laughs> right? You can, but they're like not following. When you feel like you're
0: getting warm, right? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> they're on the opposite end of Batman. Like they're not following uh, him and uh, or his code or like how he thinks they should be. I mean, they kind of get screwed for it too. It's not as clean, which is what I love about Heat. It's like, it's not because this happens, this happens. Because, I mean, there is, in essence, that. But um, just the way the world works, like, just things are messy all the time. And, you know, like, in a way where Al Pacino accidentally stops a serial killer when he was not trying to because he was on this case or whatever. They got that. So, yeah, that was my pitch was, like, these two movies kind of have it the opposite, where Al Pacino's chaos Kind of, because, you know, modern day policing is like, do anything you can to get these guys right. And mm-hmm. um, gets kind of messy, gets kind of sloppy. Uh, arguably, if the police had not shown up at the bank robbery, no one would have gotten killed if they just got away with it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so Pacino himself has to be chaos in order to do anything they can to catch these guys they only have the word slick that's all they have and then on the other end batman is very much like denier is very much like batman where like he's kind of trained his whole life for this he's made himself uh inside and out like uh, clean well like everything just washes off of him uh everything's precise and controlled and kind of in this superhero universe it's the opposite We don't have to say this about Batman and the Joker. It's very obvious that uh, Batman is like that and the Joker is like that. But um, kind of interesting how the comic book world seems to be flipped like that. What are your thoughts on that? I wanted to ask you, like, why do you think that is?
0: Well, I think we crave the simplicity of that approach, you know, the kind of the right and wrongness of it, at least the way it's presented to us. I mean, internally, Batman has his own conflicts about how he delivers right and wrong, but he wants what gets shown to the rest of us to be like, I'm stopping the wrong. Don't worry yeah. about how I do it. I think at our core, as people that want to live in a, in a safe feeling <laughs> you know society i think we wish things kind of worked that way where we don't ask a lot of questions and the people that do bad things just go away that's attractive
1: my take is that if pacino left it alone and de niro and his crew just got away with it a lot less people would have got hurt and like really the only thing that was at stake was
0: like insured bank money that's a really good take macaulay would have gone away
1: yeah, in our fantasy world, if you don't stop the Joker or the mob, things will become crazy, and and so you need that Batman. But <laughs> uh, arguably, Pacino brings a lot of people into his wake, uh, especially even like to the fact where like the way he lives his life kind of makes uh, Natalie Portman uh, commit suicide. Excellent.
0: Shoot these girls all fucking day, not you, baby, not you.
1: Because of just like uh, all the stuff that's happening around her, I wouldn't. I'm not blaming him specifically for that moment, but you know, it's part of the wake that he leaves in being who he is.
0: Well, that's his third wife, and chances are that's his going to be his third ex-wife before too long. (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, you know the Lauren, I think is the daughter's name, but they didn't go into it. But it looked like she was having some anxiety kind of issues on her own, and I'm sure living with those parents like that that couldn't give her much attention for one reason or another, wasn't helping. And that still counts though, in terms of what you're saying in terms of the wreckage left in his wake, he didn't force her to cut herself and he loves her, you know, he loves her, but Mm -hmm. he cannot be around and it's not his place as stepdad in that relationship as they've defined it, as I saw it anyway, to take her to therapy.
1: No, I don't, I, I, I agree.
0: But still, there's a little girl who who cut herself to try to commit suicide just in his periphery there. What is what is the Asian uh, saying? There's something about like like cutting through water, like a pebble in a, in a lake. It's like it's like you want to leave the the, the fewest ripples possible, the, the the least wake possible. I forget the exact thing.
1: Oh, I know exactly. I I don't know the exact quote, but I know I totally know
0: what you're talking about. Yeah, that's not him. <laughs> no, that is not him. That is more like De Niro, actually. Yeah, they're the opposite side of of that coin uh, of each other's coins. As far as tactics and stuff, uh, what what other notes do you have when we compare these movies? I, I like that in, in both movies, in, in all instances, we have people that are thoroughly prepared and they are constantly trying to get around each other in terms of knowing more about the other party. Narratively... You know, it it goes a little further with the Batman situation, but that's a newer movie too. And so I was kind of wondering, as a later question, that we could wonder about, do these kind of movies need to keep ratcheting up that kind of intrigue to keep audiences engaged? Because there have been cops and robber movies since movies, basically. But they weren't this complex in terms of, (laughs) you know... How they interact, and they were much more, you know, uh, keystone back in the day bags of money with the dollar sign printed on them and that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> so you know, maybe the evolution of movies makes the plot need to be such that, like I mentioned earlier, the Joker wants to get caught in that scene, right? Whereas, you know, this you have the same. Not the same, but a similar kind of situation in Heat where Neil and his gang show up to just some location that doesn't mean anything at all. (laughs) And the purpose is to draw the cops out so that they can start finding out who's tracking them. You know what they're looking at? What? Us.
1: Yeah, in Heat, it's a lot more like a game to them. That scene is so funny. I I love it uh, when when uh, and then Pacino goes oh like here you go the L A fucking P D <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and it, it is very much so like I got you or like even when he gets tracked down the freeway when um Hannah tracks him down the freeway and asks him to get coffee. I mean, ultimately, that scene is just setting up the great coffee scene where you finally get to see Pacino and De Niro like act against each other. But also, like it is much like a game, like you know, like we're playing the politics of real life, where like you need to get evidence. At one point, Vincent Hanna has to like stop his men from moving in on them because they have nothing; they're just going to go away with alibis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and De Niro knows that, so that's why he just drops what he's doing and just cancels that heist completely, even though they're almost done, and then just get out of there. Walk. I'm right there. Walk now. It's so awesome to see that. Uh, but I, I get what you're talking about when you when you're modernizing that in the Dark Knight. Like it's every move has got to be like some planned out, like very genius level move of like oh, like, it seems like Gordon died randomly, but oh, they really did this. But then you find out that Joker knew that all along and he was going along with it to separate Two-Face and Rachel and uh, like Harvey Dent and Rachel to because that was part of his plan. Um, and like turning Harvey was all part of his plan. So if what you meant by ratcheting up in that kind of way where like if if you're doing a count and mouse game like does it have to keep getting crazier i hope it doesn't because it gets to a point where like on a really weird tangent where skyfall or like uh in skyfall james bond is at a particular spot standing there and like all apparently javier bardem knew that he was going to be there at that particular spot in the sewers and timed it out perfectly with a train coming, where he could blow up part of the subway to get the train to like almost hit James Bond like a bullet. It gets to like a crazy wily e. coyote roadrunner level, yeah, <laughs> like, um, cartoony thing. Um, where like Christopher Nolan was right at the edge, I think, and kind of skirting it. And it, it's very believable because of how heightened the Joker and Batman are as like archetypes and characters in fiction. But like if you do that in any real world scenario, I don't think like that's the way to go <laughs> to to talk about cops and robbers.
0: I was thinking the same thing. The most recent couple of 007 movies are like, you know, you're watching it. And at a certain point, you're like, OK, I guess I'm just going along with it at this point because I've lost the thread. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why we're here anymore. But OK, yes. well, we have talked these two movies up and down the podcast. So it's time to deliver our verdicts. Dun, dun, dun. The verdict. Do you have a clear winner, Mike, in your mind? Do you have one of these movies that takes the master detective versus the master criminal and does it better than the other? I do. You do?
1: Um, it is not a winner by far. It is, it is not a runaway victory. It's a very close thing because of how great these two movies are, but I do have one clear winner. Should I go ahead and say it? You should. Uh, well, I'll start with the dark Knight. I believe it's super iconic, influential on our culture and fiction and comic book movies and so many things. Uh, there's just, that movie has meant a lot to me in my life. Uh uh i i love it so much still love it uh I, I realized i didn't have a 4k version of it and i so i got it you know because i needed an excuse to watch it for this and then this <laughs> podcast came and i was like great so i'll get it uh now because i maybe i'll watch it again someday It's nearly a perfect superhero movie for me. I will not get into it, but the only bad taste it has left in my mouth is where The Dark Knight Rises goes with Batman's character. Wasn't a big fan of that, but I will—yeah, that's another podcast for another day. (laughs) But um, (laughs) if I, you know, look at this uh, by itself, uh, or even considering Batman Begins, which I love a lot as well, uh, it's a great movie. But for this particular battle, I do believe that there's a naivety involved when you— Look at it in a comic book perspective with these archetypal things in general, especially since it's trying to be so grounded Uh, and is very successful being grounded. Uh, Christopher Nolan did a good job at um, what he aimed to do uh, with making it kind of like a very heat-esque movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like it feels like heat Um, and is very, really good and characters so iconic that they are almost as iconic as like uh, Pacino and De Niro. Uh, That being said, I would give it like a 4.5. Out of five, uh, as far as like detective versus criminal, because it just like uh, it does so well at saying what it wants to say. But it's all it's all encapsulated in the comic book, very fictionalized universe, Uh, especially Gotham City, not even being based on real like based on
0: an amalgamation of cities. So that's four point five. Let's say batarangs, even though he did not use any batarangs. Uh, That's (laughs) insane. Is that that is true, right? He did not Wow, that's crazy.
1: (laughs) Wow. Okay. And then, but heat, I feel like holds up
0: so well. How how many, uh, many, uh, let's say, um, stacks of $100 bills? (laughs) Five stacks. Five stacks.
1: Or can I just say fight five? uh, I'm saying it as the joke, not as like sincerely, but five Pacino saying great asses.
0: Great ass! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> great asses, <right? laughs>
1: yes exactly he holds up really well michael mann i believe like when he's firing all cylinders and is really getting into it makes great movies his just attention to detail him just working out going for realism going for uh just everything he does basically to make the movie as kind of grounded and real and authentic as possible uh, and he kind of worked all the way. I, I'm constantly in a battle with myself whether I like this or collateral the most. Okay. Uh, But those two are, like, neck and neck to me as far as, like, that's kind of, like, a, also an archetypal story also. Uh, maybe more so than this because there's, like, symbolism and stuff. Uh, but I love Collateral. But he just everything distilled to, to that, taking cops and robbers, distilling it, but also making it real. Like, I, how he balances that and just, like, kind of being so prescient about messed up cops have to be in order to be really good cops, you know, and, like, to get the job done. Um, and how, and just like being honest about the criminals, you know, like not having overly dramatic, melodramatic criminals where like they're like chaotic and evil, uh, but they're still master criminals, like nailing the idea of a master criminal, but not being so cartoonish with it is just perfect. And like everyone involved in heat. Uh, from the actors to every department had that had to watch probably l a takedown.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wish
1: I knew the movies that Michael Mann screened for them just for like well, this I'll, whole tell balance you. Thing. I'll tell oh, you yeah there
0: the, were um uh the first four days, I guess that the shooting schedule were spent watching these movies. I don't know why he chose those movies because I haven't seen all these movies, okay, but in order, it was okay. heat. Cat People. I don't know Cat People, but I think it's a mobster movie. Citizen Kane. Whoa. uh, King Kong, the 1930s King Kong. Batman Begins. That just makes good sense. Uh, (laughs) Black Sunday. A Clockwork Orange and Stalag 17.
1: Clockwork Orange makes sense because of the Joker, right?
0: Well, I read separately that Heath Ledger based certain aspects of the Joker's behavior on Malcolm McDowell uh, from A Clockwork Orange. That makes a lot of sense. Wow.
1: I wish for, like, great movies like these, there's just, like, books (laughs) about everything. (laughs) Or, like, an Aaron Serkin TV show, or, like, he just documents everything that happened in the making of these, because I would love that as much as the movies themselves... Uh, but yeah, I think Heat did it better. I think The Dark Knight is kind of um, the adolescent way of looking at good versus evil. Um, and then growing up is realizing that it's actually Heat.
0: <laughs> well, Heat definitely is a—you can look at that and think—and know that that is meant to represent mid-90s L.A. Mm-hmm. To, to some extent. Yes, and I mean, given that a shootout a lot like that happened not long after it, it kind of does. I mean, it very much nails the kind of atmosphere that was happening in in L.A. at that at that time period. Personally, in terms, I guess I'm gonna <clears throat> these two are for me also very neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Um, I might even not be able to bring half batarangs into the into the category here because Ooh. I mean I think I would have both five batarangs and five great asses (laughs) so so it does come down to to like to just like how much dust is on the scale to try to give one side an advantage over the other
1: is there a pin that breaks the camel's back on one side or the other
0: i think it's for me it's rewatchability i thoroughly enjoy the bank heist choreography and and all that in heat i mean i'll fast forward just to that and watch yeah. that and then go watch something else
1: i know where this is going heat is a long movie <laughs> <laughs> heat is a <laughs> long it is. movie and then there's something to take into account you can't just sit back and
0: watch heat that being said i think i i'll, I'll end up rewatching throughout my life the dark knight more often i enjoy the portrayal of the Joker, even though Joaquin also won uh, an Oscar for the Joker. I don't see myself rewatching the Joker a whole lot. Uh, whereas this just so many aspects of it. I don't, I wouldn't have a spot to fast forward to on this because I just love watching the whole thing. It's like one of those movies I have. I've, I've several standby movies that I'm willing to like do shit, like, you know, make dinner or fold right. the laundry while I'm doing this. Is not one. I would rather just sit and only watch this movie if I'm going to exist on Earth doing something. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I have lots of movies like that where I'm not really interested in chopping it up, doing other things. When it's on, that's all I want to do. Can I propose a
1: question to you? Please. Would it be different though if we still lived in a society where we channel surfed? Because I could see Heat being, like, the Shawshank Redemption for me, where, like, if I was, like, channel surfing and see that, like, oh, Heat's on TNT or FX, I'll just leave this on. Like you said, do the dishes, fold laundry, or start cooking something. Um, Yeah. Whereas much like you said the dark night i probably wouldn't enjoy it as much to just turn on the dark night maybe i don't think like then it would heat like i think i would want to rather i would rather i would probably more likely watch the dark night back to front more times but um as far as just like jumping in on the dark night i'm not sure if i would do it as much right as you. Right, what, what right, you think? right
0: whereas heat has like long passages of of things kind of slowly unfolding uh mm-hmm. whereas you know you could go about some amount of business while you're uh, <laughs> while you're watching. But <laughs> yeah. well, you could also
1: jump in at any point and know exactly kind of what's happening and then be like, "Oh, this is the part where this." And then like and kind of enjoy it from there.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing about heat that I'll say in its favor, um not that I've said much against its favor, uh, during this podcast is that when I'm talking to other movie fans or people that say that they're movie fans and I bring up heat if the answer is no I've never seen it then I know well maybe you're not the movie fan you thought you were are you <laughs> yeah agreed <laughs> well especially my especially
1: if they like The Dark
0: Knight <laughs> right exactly because everybody's seen The Dark and that 1 billion dollars worldwide is uh, is proof positive that is discounting China. The movie was not allowed to be shown in China. China wow. said no. So that's $1 billion without China.
1: That's insane.
0: That doesn't mean Chinese people haven't seen it. Apparently, it is <laughs> oh, like...
1: I know. I bet they found a way.
0: Yeah. It is one of the most bootlegged movies in China ever. But that, of course, doesn't figure in to the box office mojo uh, <laughs> figures. <laughs> Well, in closing, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode of Battle Beyond the Movies and we'll come back for our next one as uh, my pal Inez and I take a look into our dystopian future and discuss movies with a pretty bleak outlook on childbirth in the days to come with The Handmaid's Tale versus Children of Men. That's
1: going to be a fun one. (laughs) and fun is in the biggest quotes (laughs) right exactly (laughs) it'll be engaging maybe engaging is a better word to use for that
0: that is a a much better word because we're trying to avoid the word interesting people say interesting but they mean everything when they say interesting so engaging is a much better word so if you like this please remember to rate review and subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts you can find me on twitter at paul v daily or at PodClubhouse or www.podclubhouse.com. So, Mike, I know that you're winding down your formal Geekdom FanCast uh, presence, but do you, are you maintaining your uh, other other socials?
1: Oh yeah! Uh, if you still want to, I don't know, hear me talk about a Laker game or something or whatever movies coming out. Uh, at one Mike O N E M Y K E on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, But thank you, Paul, for having me. I can't wait to do this again. This was really fun. Pleasure was all mine, Mike. Thanks a lot. Uh, Clubhouse.